Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest-growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever, and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com slash show. That's staffingreferrals.com slash show. I'm here today with David Cerns, who is the CEO of Haley Marketing, a Wharton MBA, and has over 20 years of experience providing consulting and marketing services to staffing firms. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. And I'm glad you said that it was only 20 years. <laughs> well, what are you at now? Well, let's see. Uh, next year, 2021 will be 30th class reunion from my MBA. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. All right. So 30 years deep. Uh, needless to say, you know staffing well, and uh, we'll have some insights during our conversation today. Yeah, hopefully one or two. Well, so one other thing. I pulled this off of your website and this resonated with me because it's actually the exact same reason that I got into marketing. But I saw David, it was a true or false. So I answered, I'm not sure if I got it right. But so David got into marketing because he really hates cold calling. Is that an accurate statement? You saw the two truths and a lie on a website and that it's absolutely one of the truths. So quick side story, got out of graduate school. My background was not in marketing. My background was actually in IT. That was my undergraduate degree. I worked for a large bank before going to get my MBA and I was in the IT department got out of school, you get your MBA and they hand you a diploma that says, you know how to do everything. <laughs> it's actually the small print on your MBA. You so of course, I started a software company with my wife. And as my dad liked to remind me, that's where I got my real MBA those couple of years and had no marketing strategy, no ability to do sales, was making cold calls. I sucked. And yes, I got into <laughs> marketing because I was so bad at cold calling. That is amazing. And ironically, the same reason that I jumped into marketing. My first job out of school, I was handed a list of people to call. I studied finance, then I had a cold calling job. And I remember thinking, this is terrible and figured out email automation got me out of the cold calls. And I was like, I was sold. <laughs> so same boat, same path into, into yeah, the marketing You were just a generation later. So you had email automation. All we had was in the past. Email automation at that time was uploading CSVs to Microsoft Outlook <laughs> and doing it on a weekly basis to, and then pulling the people out manually like who it. clicked that. So, so, you know, it's semi-automated. <laughs> so why don't you just tell me a little bit about your background? I know you jumped in a little bit there. We know you have almost 30 years of experience in staffing now. And then also why you started Haley Marketing. Sure. Without getting into too much detail, I grew up in a family staffing business. So mom and dad ran a staffing agency from 68 to 98, actually ran multiple. Did the typical entrepreneur, grow it, sell it, wait your non-compete, do it again. Got to see them do that. 
So sitting around the dinner table growing up, the conversations were always the same. How do we get our salespeople to make more calls? How do we get our recruiters to do things? And back in the day, there were no ATSs, there were no CRM systems, but the challenges were the same that staffing companies even face today. And so back in 1993, I happened to hear a speaker, a guy by the name of Jim Cecil, and he talked about this concept he called nurture marketing. And it was all Hmm. about don't sell to people, nurture them, try to position yourself like a physician so that when the customer has a problem, a pain, they go to the doctor, the doctor recommends the drugs to take. You don't question the doctor and ask for you know, three different bids on those drugs. You just go to the pharmacy and pick up your pills. So you want to position your business like that physician, the trusted advisor, and his nurture marketing was all about that. And so I, I went to mom and dad and I said, this is really cool. You got to implement this in your staffing company. And uh, to end the long story, they basically said, no, you got to implement this in our staffing company. So I shut down the failed tech startup I had coming out of graduate school, jumped in as mom and dad's director of marketing in 1993 and started to take Jim Cecil's nurture marketing and implement it in their little family staffing business. And after doing that for three years, we said, hey, we're onto something here. And we spun off and started a new business. My wife and I launched Haley Marketing as an offshoot of mom and dad's staffing company. And that was in (laughs) August of 1996. And 24 years later, here we are today. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And just out of curiosity, I'm not to talk about the failed tech company, but I'm always interested in that. I think we all learn a lot from our failures. Were there any, any specific or meaningful lessons that you took with you from that experience? Oh, absolutely. You know, some biggies. Number one is know how you're going to market and having a great product without a marketing strategy is a recipe for frustration and failure. And another one is we had a product that was tied to another vendor much the way we're in the marketplace today for Bullhorn. But at that time, our product was solely dependent on that bigger vendor. And we went in with an understanding that we'd be able to market to their customers. And we got our product developed. We got it done. We went back to this bigger company and said, we're ready. We got this cool product. We're ready to talk to your customers. And they said, who told you you could talk to our customers? <laughs> like, what? So without a, not only a marketing strategy, but a distribution strategy, you're up a creek as a business startup. Those were big lessons that I learned to do my due diligence before jumping into any new product. Makes complete sense. And I've seen a lot of companies jump in with the, hey, this product's the best. And it's like, well, if you don't have the channel to market, you don't have the sales team, you don't have marketing, good luck. So it's actually kind of amazing as you were doing, essentially, I'm a big HubSpot proponent. I've been part of their program for quite a while. And it sounds like you were doing inbound marketing starting in 93. So pretty much the same concept. I mean, clearly it worked for your family. So you decided to roll it out to other staffing firms. But do you call it inbound then or do you have... No, we, your, we call uh, it relationship marketing back then based on a book called One-to-One Marketing when they talked about relationship marketing. But it was yeah. content and inbound. If you think about the time frame, even things we take for granted today, emailing. So most companies in the mid-90s had emailing for internal systems, but it was pretty rare to use it as a vendor trying to get into a business. It wasn't until the late 90s that email exploded. We did direct mail. We, we wrote really cool content. We stuffed it in an envelope. We put a personal mm-hmm. cover letter on it to make sales reps look like they were being really good about follow-up. And we managed the process for them. And the business actually took off really quickly. Is This was the boom of the dot-com era. So we grew a ton year over year. But as you might understand from a tech company or a startup company, growth doesn't mean profit. So we yeah. were growing, but we were That's spending sure. more than we were growing every year. 
And yeah. we weren't making any money. It took us almost five years to figure out how to actually make money in the business and that you know, profit mattered, not just growth. But our lessons is, you know, we're doing the nurture marketing. It worked. We were getting, listening to customers. And one of our real big jumps into technology was in 1999. And one of our clients in Chicago said, hey, David, this nurture marketing is really great. We have a marketplace with a thousand staffing companies. We have a team with 50 outside salespeople and this consistent sharing of content is totally differentiating us. It's making us look like an expert. It gives us more to talk about on sales calls. But David, it's 1999. People don't want mail. They want everything via email. Can you please deliver this via email? And that was our jump into tech because of course I said, of course we can. And then I went to my wife and said, yeah how are we going to do this via email? And we ended, up, we ended up having to build our own platform to manage the email delivery. And that's a service we still have today called Haley Mail is our email marketing engine. Oh, wow. Email is not amazing. even the big piece of it anymore. It's a way to do content marketing where we can really centrally manage the distribution of content across every one of our clients' accounts using this platform. Something we didn't know what we were creating that is going to be that important in 1999. It was just a way to do the email marketing. Today, it's really a key to the way we can deliver one-to-many content. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And that actually leads me into the next question and topic that I wanted to jump into. Talking about the digital transformation. And I think that what you're talking about is some of the early stages of the digital transformation. And this year with the pandemic, actually, I saw, uh, kind of to preface this, I saw, it was on Reddit. It was a quote said, or a question, who led the digital transformation for your business? Your CEO, CMO, or COVID-19? (laughs) <laughs> and I was, <laughs> and I think for a lot of companies this year are recognizing the importance of shifting to digital and shifting business operations digital. How would you kind of define the digital transformation? What have you seen that's been interesting this year? Great question. The digital transformation, I love that question. Who led it? So first it was our customers going back to 1999. But this year with COVID, it made us realize how many things we were doing that were still very manual, still very labor dependent. Mm-hmm particularly in our back office, still very paper-based. We were in the process, like it's one of those projects, especially when you get to back office projects, like they're not revenue driving, they're just about service efficiency. So you never get to them. You're always focused on the shiny new thing that's for the client. Well, COVID-19 said, you know, we have to, we have to completely gut how our billing systems work. We have to gut a lot of things in the background and it has forced us to take some big strides, some of which very seamlessly, some of which tripping over our toes, trying to figure out what to do in terms of that back office process automation. Also, you mentioned HubSpot. We've been using CRM and marketing automation platform for years. We like the platform we're on, but doesn't take it to the level that a HubSpot would. And usually our big reservation, I think HubSpot's like the platform to be on, but the cost to have the platform for many of our clients that are small to mid-sized companies, it's prohibitive. Yeah. So we've been looking for alternatives to HubSpot for ourselves. We could afford to be on it. But since a lot of our clients, we're trying to find something that will work for everybody. But that automation of communication, you're seeing so much of it in the staffing industry, whether it's Herefish and Sense, staffing referrals, automating the touch points, it's big in every business where you want to get rid of the things that are necessary but not adding value that lead to more meaningful human interactions. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was just going to say, I think that conceptually, the Herefish and Sense are the HubSpot of staffing. You know, it's kind of like the tailored HubSpot of staffing. And there are a lot of firms that I think use both, but it's definitely, they are filling that void. And I think you guys do a lot on that front. 
where your content distribution platform, it sounds like plays in that same arena where you're making sure you're getting emails out, content out in a kind of a ongoing way as well. What actions do you think staffing firms are going to need to take to your point on kind of shifting from back office? Like people are always focused on, we need to get more talent. And then it's, all right, well, now we need more clients. And then, you know, this year's happened and now it's, down up, we need down more down. clients. <laughs> yeah, that's, we need more clients, which will eventually be talent again. But in the meantime, it's also, we are going to take action on the back office operations. But what do you, actions do you think people need to take in the staffing industry or actions have you seen that are winning, that are doing a great job to win the digital transformation? So I wouldn't start with the technology. I would start with looking at your client and candidate experience and talking to your customers. So I would talk to my customers first. Tell me everything you love about working with staffing companies and everything you hate. Let's look at all the places there are friction. Mm -hmm. Placing a job order, vetting the candidates, doing the interviews. Where's the friction in the process for the customer? And then I would do the same thing for the candidate. Okay, you're looking for a job. That's kind of a crappy process. No one likes looking for a job. So tell me about what your experience has been, not just with us, with end employers. What's good about the job hunt? What's bad about it? And then I would look at how can we improve that experience. Some of it's by having more human touch where human touch is needed. Some of it's more automation, whether it's a chat on your website that can handle basic inquiries 24-7 or live chat. So I can be having conversations, particularly when you deal with a generation under 30 that they don't want to be on email. They certainly don't want to be on the phone. But if you don't have an intelligent response to live chat, they're on to the next client. I need to put that in there. What are those touch points, the follow-up calls? And this is where the sense, the hearfish come in those arrival calls, the first day calls, is everybody happy? Am I getting my net promoter feedback? A lot of that can be fully automated and people are happy when that's automated. And I saw a stat that actually I heard on podcasts. I'm a fan of Chad and Cheese. I don't know if you listen to those guys. Yeah. You don't like four letter words, don't listen. But they're always talking about the bots and how candidates have said they prefer the automated interaction even over the human interaction as long as it answers their questions. So I would start, though, with that service experience and start to identify my points of friction, my gaps. And then anytime I have a point of friction, I would say, how can I make it easier? How can I make it faster? Or how can I just make it more fun? The example I use with our team here is I say, when you think about process, you can't always eliminate everything that sucks about process. So think about going to Disney World. When you think about going to Disney World, you're going to expect to do what? Wait in line. So Disney said, you know, we're not just going to have people wait in the hot sun in line. We're going to build a winding queue that you can't really see how long the wait is because when you see how long the wait is, that increases your stress. And we're going to put TV screens up all over the place and we're going to pay a ton of money to have big name and secondary tier actors and animators entertain you while you stand in line. Well, that's a lot of thought to the service experience of waiting in line. And are we thinking about the same process? What's it like when you submit a resume? What's that black hole feel like? What's it like when I send in a referral? What's it like when I have to vet 50 candidates to make a hire or even the top five, the staffing company? How easy have you made it for me? So I think there's so much technology that can make that experience better if we start with where are the pain points and not just with what's the shiny new technology because that may or may not be the answer. Yeah, and I do see a lot of staffing firms that chase what's the shiny new thing. I've even been at fault of it many times on my own where it's like, oh, dude, I'm a tech guy. So it's like, this is new and exciting. Like, let's spend some time on this. But Guilty. if it's not solving the real business problem, <laughs> it's not the right business problem, you're not solving the right problem. And that's a great example. The Disney example is great from a perspective of how do you improve the experience. And I do think submitting resumes 
I don't know if this stat still stands, but a few years ago, the average time spent on a resume was like three seconds yeah. per resume. And you're sitting there as a candidate spending hours thinking that you're going to get somebody that actually spends time looking through your resume and it, agonizing and, and over that one word. Three, three, yeah, in three seconds. So uh, yeah, I think there's a whole lot of room for improvement just in that uh, process as it stands. Do you have any other examples on, that are staffing specific that you think are kind of best in class or best practices that you've seen for improving the experience? Yeah, I've seen some of the best in class. I'm going to go back to, to one example being the chatbots. I know that the cost of some of the higher end bots, oh yeah, you know, Amaya, it's a lot, uh, and Alio yeah. can be prohibitive. You know, you're looking at a, at a very significant investment. Excuse me, one second. But can we look at ways to build a workflow where you have the bot answering some basic questions, and then you're providing more information to the candidate to help them with the process? So. I'm going to give one I haven't seen an example of, but I think staffing companies should be doing. So I've just become a huge fan. My entire staff is completely sick of hearing me talk about a book I just read. You actually hate whenever I read a book because I love trying to apply it. <laughs> and the book was called They Ask, You Answer. And it's written by a guy named Marcus Sheridan. And he's talking about the basis of really good marketing is anticipating the questions people are going to ask you and answering them. That's the foundation of SEO. It's the foundation of really good sales. But the example they gave that I think staffing companies could use is think about what a candidate's like when they're thinking about looking for a job. How do I apply? What happens after I apply? How should I prep for this interview? There are questions that a staffing company answers 10,000 times. And historically, a recruiter gets on the phone and answers the question or sends an email and answers the mm-hmm. question. What staffing companies should be doing more of, and most are not yet, is using a medium like we're doing right now, a video. Let me record a video where I answer that question, take the recording, and then through my chat bot, when someone asks a question, the bot shares the video that, show, that answers the question. It's on my website. It's on a YouTube channel. So I should be using video in my service process and in my sales process to better anticipate and answer questions so that I can create a better experience where the candidate's being shown exactly what to expect, how to prep, how to get ready for the interview how to work with the staffing company, how to work with the end employer without the staffing company having to repeat the service over and over again. It's that kind of automation that like even the sense and here pitch, which are mostly email and text-based communication, we really got to get to more video communication as a way to convey information. Couldn't agree more on video. I mean, the performance of video on LinkedIn and Facebook, I don't know for those that are following social media stats, but it's pretty wild what 15 to 30 second video on LinkedIn is going to get you know five times the traction of just a normal post on average. I mean, it's pretty crazy. So not only is it the engagement you get on social media, but also on your own platform. And I love that. I'm going to have to pick that book up. That sounds like a good one. So I, I know my team too. feels the same way. I go through... <laughs> easy read, you said? Easy read. And if you want a version that's completely yeah. covered in a highlighter, I'll be happy to lend you one. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about how does Haley Marketing help people with leading the digital transformation? What are you guys doing in terms of services you're providing and helping people move forward through this period? I'm glad you asked. It's one of the things like everybody tends to think of us as, okay, you're a marketing company. And one of the hidden things that most people don't know is we're about as much technology as we are marketing. And so in terms of the transformation, we started our first technology product was our email platform. So how do we automate email communication across an organization across multiple branches or franchise offices so that people can be doing things that are localized, but at the same time, the content is centrally managed. And that's sort of been a general theme behind a lot of what we've done is how do we take great content 
centralize that procurement so that the organization is whatever office they're in, whatever, whether it's a big city or remote location, everybody's sharing really good stuff, but they can customize it to their marketplace. So our software, our email platform is easily built to be one to many. We've got franchise organizations where corporate controls all the messaging, but all the delivery is done at the branch office level. All the responses go to a specific branch. Then now we're looking at skill marketing and skill marketing, something that historically people said, let's pick up the phone and get on the line and skill market available talent. Well, we built a product called a talent showcase. Like, why do we make it just on the phone? Why don't we turn great candidates into content on your website? It does several things for you. One, it helps you place people faster who are available. Two, it demonstrates to somebody visiting your website, these are the kinds of people we can place in the level of talent we have. And three, it's great for recruiting because it shows candidates, hey, everybody else is going to throw you into a database where you're just a number. We actually work with you to build a profile to market you and we put you on our website and we feature you. And then we use that to show employers, this is the caliber of candidates that we have. So that's another way we're helping to use some automation. And then most recently, our, our latest technology product is called NetSocial. And what we've learned is that when individuals share content on social media, the distribution of that content is going to be far greater than when a company does it. And when you can get everybody in your organization sharing the company content, the data says that it's about eight times more reach and the big one, seven times more conversions than when just you're sharing from your company page. But for most of our clients, getting everybody in the organization to share the company content has been painful. It's a matter of, you know, all right, I email it out. I beg, plead. I put it on my website. Just click yeah. the LinkedIn yeah, button. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And you can't get people to do it. <laughs> and then, so we built NetSocial saying, well, we can have that content centrally curated by the marketing department. So they pick and choose and they can set up channels, sort of like Netflix. We can set up different channels. And then everybody in the organization can subscribe to channels and then automate the distribution. So they're only sending out what they want to send out to their social networks. And they pick and choose which social networks And they can use email or text to approve what goes out, or they can just set it on autopilot. But that's the next one for us is how do we automate that social media so that we can be doing more with whether it's jobs or featured talent or this month's blog posts, we can make it easier for people to automate that team-based social sharing or that employee advocacy. Sounds like a really cool product and also something that's very meaningful. My experience working with more on the software side of the businesses, but look at their sales teams trying to get them to share content. I, I feel your pain and that product <laughs> is a, a, something that I think everybody could use. One thing that you said that was super interesting, I didn't know you were doing this. And uh, conceptually, I, I think it's a, cool, it's a cool concept. In fact, that you're trying to get people are marketing the actual talent and the skills from the actual talent pool. So I always think, what is a staffing firm's product? And I'm like, well, it's a couple different things. One would be the recruiters. People buy the recruiter. They buy the job. The talent's buying either the job or the recruiter, depending on how that's positioned. And a lot of times it's the relationship that's actually causing the purchase on that front. And I've always been amazed at how many staffing firms don't have recruiters on the site. Cause I'm like, that's your product. You know, it's like going no, to a car website. Going to, that's what we always hear. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't like, show my team. They'll get recruited yeah, away. It's like, no, that, that is the right. Yeah. That is exactly part of your product. What's their experience? <laughs> I'm going to go to toyota.com and not see the car I'm going to buy because the, the competitors might build the same car, you know? So same concept. And now you're actually taking it even a step further than I thought about, which is having, because the client side, you know, that's the product is actually the talent or the skills that they're purchasing. So you're actually, are you building these profiles out? Is this a, 
product that you've rolled out across many companies? How, how does that work? So it's almost like a reverse job board. So the staffing company can build a profile of the candidate the same way they build a profile of a job. They can do it in our software. Uh, we do have an integration with Bullhorn so we can pull the candidate data directly out of Bullhorn. Oh, very cool. Now, we don't have photos of the candidates in Bullhorn. We actually allow our clients to upload a picture of the candidate. We kind of show them best practices for doing it. There's actually even a feature they can add to the talent showcase. They can ask candidates to fill in the blanks to build their own profiles. And it walks them through questions to help market themselves. Like, tell us about your three biggest accomplishments in your career. Where did you work last? And we gather all the information. Now, it's not all publicly available but it gives the recruiter a great background on the candidate. And then the recruiter approves what they want to go in the showcase. And that becomes the bio that somebody sees in the website. Then an employer can come to the website and they can search by skill, by date posted, by geographic location to find the right potential candidates in their market. Very cool. Very cool. That's a, I love that as a product. What other examples do you have? Or I guess what other trends are you seeing in the staffing industry right now? I mean, I personally have seen the shift towards, which I think you've, talked about earlier, the dip from, we need more talent, we need more clients, we need more talent, we need more clients. Are there any trends related to that and how people are uh, approaching those challenges yeah, uniquely ab- or other trends that you think? Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's two. On the, on the client side, I'm going to go old school here. I think people are being too reliant on digital marketing. And I'm all in favor of digital marketing as part of the mix. It should be. But being 100% dependent on digital marketing because you assume no one's going to the office or you assume that I look outdated if I'm doing anything that's not digital. That's a mistake because old school marketing, mail, in some cases, probably not right now, but when we get back to -to face-to-face, drop-offs, things that people did 20 years ago, to me, that's become the express lane at the supermarket. No one's in that line. So it's easy to stand out. The digital then supports it and adds depth. We recently acquired a company called Mamu Media. That's, they do branded print and digital content. And the guys, Mike and Rob, who run that, you know, fantastic. But one of the things they've been saying is, you know, look at something like a QR code. It was a dead technology till we yeah. came to the, I can't hand you a menu. Now everyone knows how to use a QR code. Well, when you want to take print content and then lead to rich digital follow-up, more depth, those QR codes are awesome, whether it's on a resume or a postcard you drop off or on the top of the donut box that you dropped off at the office. There's so many things we can do to integrate those two. So on the selling side, I want to see people doing more, not just about digital transformation, but more digital engagement by mixing the old school and the new school. Now on the recruiting side, this is probably the strangest time. Dave, if you had asked me to forecast in March what staffing would look like in August, I would be like, man, our clients are going to be desperate for a job order and they're going to have... 10,000 candidates knocking on their doors. And then what's the reality? Most of our clients are saying, we have record numbers of job orders. I just talked to a client last week, said we had this in the month of July, the most new job orders in our company's history. Like, wow. In a pandemic where unemployment is 30 million, you have the most job orders. Yeah, we're seeing them, but we can't fill the job orders because we can't get people to go to work. Either because at that point- their unemployment paycheck was too high. So they wouldn't take a job. Now they're not getting the same unemployment check, but they're still reticent to take the jobs. And the no-show rate on interviews is off the charts, higher than they've ever seen. So we're looking at, I'm sure you're familiar with programmatic advertising. So how can we get better analytics, better data around job advertising so that we're getting more response? And the days of 
well, here's our annual contract with Indeed, ZipRecruiter, Monster, Career Builder. Those days are gone. It's now I need to have a flexible month-to-month budget. I need to be adjusting where I spend. I need to be analyzing which source is producing the highest quality candidates. I need to be managing my spend so that I'm not overspending on jobs that are easy to fill and having no budget left for the jobs that really needed them. And that's where programmatic comes in. We partnered with AppCast, their ClickCast software to help our clients to better manage that spend because getting the most return on that investment is more critical than ever and more confusing than ever because there's so many job sites and basically no one staffing company can be trying to manage all of it across every office unless you have the software and full-time people to run the software. Yeah, and I think it's even, just going back to your earlier point, looking at the experience as well, is there's companies that's like, oh, well, we're willing to spend on the, the programmatic marketing. It's like, are you bringing that person to schedule an interview? Where are you leaving that? Are you tracking if you're automating that process? And how are you making sure that they're getting all the way through and that you're measuring it deeper in the funnel? Something that I feel like pretty common in startups in Silicon Valley is measuring the customer acquisition cost by channel is something that is still quite rare in staffing, which is actually looking at what is my cost per placement by channel and then optimizing on that front. And I think that's it sounds like you're kind of helping move people down that path. We're trying to. I mean, we're getting to the point now like we're going to get to the, the cost per application, the cost per candidate from pretty much any job site or even doing it on social media. We can track back to that. The last mile to placement is actually where it gets really hard. And I'm preaching to the choir here. You know the challenge of getting inside the ATS for that data. So some of them oh, yeah. is really easy. Some of them not so easy. And the more we can get inside the ATS to get to the placement data, the more we'll be able to provide better analytics on the actual result of the investment, whether it's recruiting or the lead generation marketing. Because I totally agree with you. I think the industry is headed there. We just had a company today saying, hey, we really need you to take this to the last mile. And we're like, okay, they are on Bullhorn. We can get to the data there. But are you ready for the coding project? Because nobody's doing it yet. Yeah. It's like, oh, we've got that data in Bullhorns. Like, who updates that source when the placement happens? Is that a recruiter or is it reliable? Actually, it would be a better, is that data reliable? Because I, I find that frequently it's not maybe as accurate as some would like or doesn't get updated when, when people, we find that a lot on the referral side where it's like, yeah, we know that we have the referral as a source, but we're not sure how often that's actually being accurately updated because we know that we occasionally hear we're not paying out at the right time. So same concept. Quick side story there. Uh, we had a client who they said, guys, I'm sorry, we love you, but we're going to have to terminate services. It's not working. No one's calling us because of our marketing. And we said, really? Why? We're seeing a lot of traffic on your website. I'm surprised nothing's happening. Hey, could we do an experiment where we're going to build a Google form and we're just going to ask the receptionist, just ask people where you're calling from, what you look at last, and then record the result in the Google form. And this, the owner of the company was convinced that it was all due to the outbound sales and recruiting efforts that they were getting <laughs> results. And over one month, wow, we tracked my it. Story. <laughs> and like 87% of the leads coming in were coming because someone saw something, went to the website, picked up the phone and called. And so they were really undervaluing measuring what's happening post-website. I think that's an amazing experiment and uh, speaks so much to That's my favorite story I've heard in a while because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about, well, this is where the data's got, you know, this is the back, this is our reality. And I'm like, well, how accurate is that? And I think it's uh, very frequently not as accurate as we would like it to be. And I think when that's not automated, you leave it open to 
opportunity for human error. And also there's, you know, when it's your job to outbound or you still have 50 calls or hundred cold calls on your daily task list, you definitely want to show that the outcomes of those are good. You don't want to show it's all coming in for marketing. <laughs> you brought up QR codes and I thought about this quite a bit as well. And I've always been a believer in the combination of print and digital. And I definitely think that you're onto something with the fact that it's, it is the blue ocean of marketing. Maybe not blue ocean, but there's not many people doing it at the moment. And it is something where you're not as crowded out. But the QR codes, I thought they were for sure that when I was at GE in 2010, we were looking at, as a GE Lighting, we were looking at doing QR codes on all of the products. And I remember you know, it was like $20,000 implementation. And it was going to be this expensive project. And I was like, well, nobody's really using them. You had to download an app. And I just two years ago, I had some friend ask about a QR code. I'm like, oh, I think I just said, don't worry about them. They're dead. And now, <laughs> wow. And now yeah. it's like, we're all custom to it, trained to it. It's behavior we're used to. And it's something that that with print is going to be uh, something we see moving forward. So, well, I, think that, I think there's another lesson there too. Is like QR codes really didn't become enabled because you mentioned you had to download an app. But once a feature becomes native on the smartphone, you know, yep. podcasts went native on the smartphone and podcasts exploded. You didn't have to search them and know where to find them. Now it's just an app on your phone. Now I just open my camera and it reads the QR code. I think those kinds of things are going to really change every industry. I saw that Facebook has made a massive investment in developing AR VR. So I don't know where it's going to go, how it's going to impact staffing, but you can bet in a few years, Facebook's augmented reality is going to completely change probably how we interview, how we present candidates, the data we know about people just because, oh, I've got your resume. Oh, look, there's every digital thing about you just queued up for me right there. I'm, I'm excited about what's going to happen, but uh, really curious to see where it will take our industry. I'm more Pokemon Go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> candidate hunter. <laughs> candidate hunter. Just people searching around, wandering around the streets. I do the AR is also another area that I think is I don't know how to predict what's going to happen on that front and the staffing industry, but I know that there's going to be a lot of movement. Just I was uh, listening to an audiobook on AR and AI, and it was talking about the savings and training that they're getting when it comes to the industrial space. And it's just absolutely astounding how much AR is helping on that front. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it's applied for the staffing and recruiting industry for sure. Yeah, uh, Kelly, um, Mc, Kelly McCrae at Hamilton Riker, they have a really cool VR-based forklift driver training program. They've been doing it for a couple of years now and very, very effective way to get drivers up to speed to be ready to go perform in the plant and also to give them feedback on, is this somebody we can send out? Great program. That's very cool. So I've got a, a couple of questions left for you. Sure. Uh, more on kind of the personal background side. We've already answered the book once. We've covered that one. But um, in the last few five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Like, I can't think back past March. Uh, there was, <laughs> I can't remember anything I mean, I, that goes I, through the back. That, I think the last few months might be the equivalent of five years. So, you know, we're, we can count it. <laughs> yeah, the biggest one is my wife and I joined an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, two years ago. And there's one of the guys there who's a very well-known speaker, leader. His name is Warren Rustand. And Warren talks about living a life of intent. And he literally talks about, he goes, when you wake up in the morning, don't roll over and pick up your phone. He said, before your feet hit the ground, sit up on the side of the bed and you think about what's the most important thing I want to do today towards my life's goals and what is my intent for the day? And I don't do this every day, but every day I do it, it's a better day. 
if I can live that life by intent and I'm still a work in progress, I'm consistently doing it and not reaching for the phone. But that is probably the best habit that I've developed is trying to think with more intent about where I want to go, why I want to go, and long-term, what's the value that I can add to the world? For 24 years, it was about like, how do you think about starting and building a business? Well, I'm in my middle 50s now and thinking about not winding down, but more thinking about what's next and what more can I do for the staffing industry? What more can I do for others? And that life of intent is probably the best lesson that I've learned if I can stick with it. That's great. And you, you recommend the organization as well? Has it been valuable for you? EO has been phenomenal. So it's been one of the best things I've ever done in terms of just meeting really cool people, having amazing experiences and uh, great educational content. A lot of staffing companies are EO members as well. Very cool. Very cool. And um, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Oh. Could be money, time, or energy. Well, I'm a horrible investor. Like anything I would invest in, <laughs> run and do the opposite. You'd be a millionaire if you did the opposite <laughs> of what I do. I would say the best investment I made, and it wasn't until it was for my wife's 50th birthday. We weren't really much travelers. Like traveler meant going to Florida, maybe going to the Caribbean for vacation. Yeah, yeah. We did a thanks to actually a recommendation of somebody in the staffing industry. We needed to get a new car, so we did a European car delivery. And then we oh, had cool. an experience of driving around Europe. And I, I was such an idiot American prior to that. And just the experience of starting to see the rest of the world opened my eyes and perspective to so much more, made me realize both how big and how small our planet is. And it's made me, we've been doing a lot more global travel since and trying to do even more just to experience other places. My daughter has spent the last 18 months pre-COVID traveling the world and getting to see that, that experience of travel and seeing other cultures is definitely the best investment I made in the last five years. I could not agree more. Travel is uh, probably my number one passion and something I'm, I'm missing very much these days. We're locked in. Do you have your post-COVID trip planned out yet? Have you thought about it? That's I, No, <laughs> I actually had my first one. I had a friend whose daughter got married last weekend in Florida. And so went from Buffalo, New York down to Sarasota, Florida for the wedding. I had a great time, but it was I wasn't really uncomfortable, but we did try to avoid everybody as much as we could because of it. And it was just a strange experience. So post-pandemic, yeah, it's probably going to be getting back to Italy. Yeah, Italy's great. That's fantastic. Well, it's been really great talking with you, David. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Any other insights or anything else you'd like to cover really, on today's call? Yeah, the last thing is probably one that I think everybody's going to know, but I just I feel like I have to say it is people have, have said... And I've read so many books that say the same thing, like what's the secret of success and, and how do you build a, a successful business? There's two things I would say, and they go back to a book that I read long ago called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it's a hundred year old book, but it's the power of having purpose, knowing what you're trying to accomplish and clearly defining those goals in your mind. And then the power of persistence. This is a tough time that we're all facing. We've got new challenges, whether you're a mom and dad who's trying to figure out what to do with your kids and homeschool, whether you're starting out in your career thinking, has my entire career been derailed because I now have to try to find a remote job and I, I wasn't planning on that? Or has my retirement savings been wiped out? What am I going to do? We're all facing challenges that are unprecedented. But by getting refocused on where we want to go and having the persistence, we'll get through it. We'll get through it successfully. We'll get through it better. And at the end, we'll look back on this and say, it was probably the most painful, but best thing that happened to me in my life was surviving this time period. And we're all going to, at least the majority of us are going to survive it. So I want to just wish everybody all the best getting through this and getting through this as successfully as possible. 
I absolutely love that for a closing note. And I feel the exact same. So I'll second you on that one. And I hope we're all stronger on the other side of this one, stronger, better, and moving forward in life. So thanks again so much for being on, David. Really appreciate it. And appreciate what you're uh, doing to help move the staffing industry forward. Thanks, David. This is uh, absolutely my pleasure. And thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.